When war broke out in Israel on October 7th, Moti Jungreis wasted no time in getting on a plane so that he could assist in the massive civilian relief and support effort. A former investment banker based in Toronto, Jungreis has split his time between Israel and Canada in recent years. He spent today, Monday, harvesting fruit in farmers' fields just outside the closed military zone in southern Israel, adjacent to the Gaza Strip. And he has been doing so much more over the last two weeks. In the midst of the carnage and horror, it is people like Moti Yongreis who exemplify the Israeli spirit and allow us to hope. I'm Vivian Berkovich, former Canadian ambassador to Israel, and these days, usually resident in the state of Tel Aviv. Stay with us. Moti Yangres, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with State of Tel Aviv this evening. Hi, good evening, Vivian. You are now in Israel. You are a Canadian-Israeli, and uh, when war broke out, you got on a plane and flew over to help. Just tell our listeners, please, a bit about what you did and why initially. So I I thought that uh, being in in front of the TV in Toronto, watching Israeli TV 24-7 was going to drive me nuts. So I figured I just have to be with my people. This was obviously, as we all know, probably the worst day in, in, obviously, in, in, in Israel's history and for the Jewish people since the Holocaust. So I thought that the right thing to do is actually to come in and show solidarity. I didn't know exactly what I'm going to do, but I figured I can host people in my house. I can help this civilian army that uh, that erupted and volunteering everywhere that I can help that and show support to my friends uh, and colleagues here. So that's what I did. Amazing. And we'll go back from the beginning, but right now I'd like to just focus on what you were doing today. It's evening in Israel on Monday when we're speaking, uh, and you've had quite a day. What did you do today? I worked in the last week in the headquarter of the Brothers and Sisters for Israel, but I felt that I wanted to be out there. So I, I went last week to see their logistics center in the south, but I felt like I needed to do a little bit more. So today I went actually to help farmers. A lot of volunteers wake up every morning. It was quite amazing and how efficient. At 7 a.m., we showed up uh, near Beersheba somewhere. There were hundreds of us, and we then got very quickly allocated to teams to go to the uh, communities near, uh, if you like, the Gaza Strip, outside uh, in Israel, obviously, and where there's tens of communities and there are a lot of them basically agricultures and farmers. And in fact, they supply the majority of fruits and vegetables and milk product to Israel. And they have obviously a clear shortage of employees right now. The Palestinian, as people know, Israel used to host 20,000, 30,000 Palestinians uh, worker a day. That's no longer the case. They have other foreign workers there that also probably are less inclined to work. And also a lot of Israelis who were basically evacuated from their homes after the event. So we, I went today and I was busy in basically two areas. I spent some time in a place that had the greenhouses where they grow uh, strawberries. And then we went to a pomegranate field where we picked pomegranates. And my back is definitely dead after that day. But it was amazing to see the show of solidarity of all those volunteers and also to notice and, and see the activity just outside the Gaza Strip. Tons of soldiers, tons of uh, army, IDF troops. You can definitely feel that you are in, in an area that's basically a war zone. Can you tell us a bit more about that? What specifically is going on? What do you see? What do you hear? First of all, you see something that in hindsight you wish there was more before, where basically tons of police stops and police uh, people every in every junction. 
And then obviously a lot of army, uh, army cars and army troops in the area that are, we, I wasn't the front line, obviously, because you can't get close to it. You have to stay within a, a distance, but you can just more, it's just very noticeable, the activity. And then of course, when you work in the field, there was this continuing bombing of, of Gaza by the RDF as they're preparing to the ground operation, whether it comes or not. So you can see every a minute, there's another explosion, another explosion, another explosion. Uh, there was also some rockets obviously fired towards us, but that's but one incident. And that's just a, a normal phenomenon in Israel these days. But you can see the other thing that, that was definitely was striking to me again, because I haven't seen close enough the army in the last many years, is the amount of female soldiers in combat uniform everywhere. It was actually really interesting to see. It's amazing. My assumption, correct me if I'm wrong, is that the residents of all of the Gaza communities have been evacuated, but you're working with farmers who obviously yeah. live in the area. Do you have any sense of what they're doing, where they're living? So they live in a community where I work as a community, Moshav, and basically they were just outside the strip that was told to evacuate. So basically, you think what the army did <laughs> right after the events uh, on October 7th is that they created a safe zone, if you like, where anyone who's within, and I can't remember whether it's, say, one or two kilometers from the border, three kilometers from the border was basically told to evacuate. And not only that, you're not allowed to get close there. And then anything, say, three or four or five kilometers, you can still be there and you can still work. And, and so some people left. They just didn't want to be there but others are staying and they're still working their land. When you're in the fields and you hear rockets coming, I know what you would do, but I don't think many of our listeners have had that kind of experience when you're out in the middle of nowhere and there is no shelter and there's nowhere to go. What do you do? So interesting. I have a house in Ertelia, which is 78 kilometers from Gaza. So here we have about a minute notice. When the, the siren goes on, you pretty much have about a minute, 45 seconds to a minute to go to your shelter or whatever, a safe room. Over there, you have eight seconds. When you're close to Gaza, because it's so close, and the one time that there was uh, the siren today, I actually was near, they have a lot of, call it like a concrete areas where you can just go and hide for a second. And all you have to do is hide for literally 30 seconds. It's that quick. So I was lucky enough to be very close to a safe area that can have maybe eight, 10 people walk into it. It's just a concrete, temporary like the concrete bus stops, what they have. Yeah, exactly. To Something like this. Like a concrete bus stop. Yeah. You go in, you, you count to 30, whatever. You hear the you hear the explosion usually, either because the iron dome said to get down or because it just fell on the ground because because it's farmland. They don't, they actually don't shut it. Most of the time, they won't shut it, even, they won't shut it down because they assume it's farmland. It's not going to hit civilians. So they let the, the rocket fall. So you hear the, the fall and then you leave and you go on with your life. And we have to, it's, understand that for those farmers, there's been a reality for many, many years, not just in the last two weeks, there, there's been an ongoing period where some periods are quiet and some periods are, there's heavy shelling. So they're used to it. So there's all those concrete, uh, I feel like pockets everywhere. So people can have uh, easy access to them. Before you got into farming and picking pomegranates, tell us what you were doing for the last couple of weeks since you went over to Israel. Because I know you've had your hands in, in many places and you've been busy supporting so many groups and people. So uh, on a personal uh, side, I've hosted, this is my second family right now that's been hosted. So I had a family from Ashkelon for a few days. Ashkelon is a town in, obviously, that everybody is aware it's getting shelled very heavily. So I've hosted family. They almost literally needed a break from all the 
from their life. So they came here for a few days and they left. And then another family came in yesterday. They'll probably be here for a few days. And then there'll be a longer term tenants that are coming from the, some of the communities that lost everything that had a lot mm-hmm. of the murdered people, kidnapped people. Those people are not going back to their kibbutz uh, anytime soon. They might need a few months before they can go back. So there's an opportunity. For, as I'm going back to Canada, I will probably uh, have a, a family, I'm told, up to 10 people that uh, will stay in my house. So that's one thing I've been busy with. The other thing is obviously breath- helping brothers and sisters. In Israel, that's an organization that has 15,000 volunteers. I worked with you, Vivian, obviously, and others to also introduce that organization to communities in uh, North America and get more people to volunteer because they are the best at employing and deploying money right away to people and soldiers in need, immediate need, and they've done an unbelievable work. And I I was commenting to someone yesterday that what I saw in the last two weeks is a group of people that a lot of them are entrepreneurs in peacetime or retired army people or whatnot, that what they've been able to do in two weeks in terms of setting up a platform that helps getting donation and deploying them. And I try to compare it to a project that at a bank where I worked before a TD. And I'm thinking to myself, a project like that at TD, in time of really stress, yeah, we did it really quick. In, in COVID, we, it reminded me kind of COVID days at TD, but in general, those projects would take a year and brothers and sisters did it in two weeks. And that kind of reminded me how, you know, when, when dedicated people get to get something done and you shove away the bureaucracy and you realize after something done, you get it done and you get it down on the fly and, and you run. And it was, it's amazing to see. I've seen it very few times in my career. And I started again, a remarkable group of people, and all they do is want to help. Uh, and yep. I want to thank also all the, the Jewish community that helped donating money on a daily basis to their causes. It is an extraordinary effort. And they did pivot overnight from primarily being a protest movement into a yeah. humanitarian organization. And, exactly. and I think they pretty much, I mean, I, I understand you're on the ground and you're there and you're watching as the operation center develops and grows, but they were really up and running within 24 hours. And then I'm sure they've built on it. And all volunteers too. All volunteers, not a single person on a payroll. Yeah, which is really important for people who are considering if and where to support people on the ground. Mwati, you're in Herzliya, which is just a little bit North Tel Aviv, depending on the traffic. Yeah. <laughs> and anywhere yeah. from 15 minutes to an hour. Are you guys getting hit with mini rockets? No, not a lot. So we did have occasional sirens, but honestly, it's been fairly quiet here. And, you know, we're all very thankful. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to speak to you and to see you healthy and safe and to hear about the incredible work that you're doing to support people on the ground. Vivian, thank you for inviting me and I hope to see you in Toronto soon. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the State of Tel Aviv and Beyond podcast. We'll keep the dispatches coming as frequently as we can. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment, rate us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. You can check out our full library of articles and podcasts at our website, stateoftelaviv.com. State of Tel Aviv is an independent media venture, and we rely on subscribers to support our work. If you are not yet a paying subscriber, please consider taking the plunge today. Each person really does make a huge difference, especially in these very challenging times in Israel. It is important that you stay informed and current and seek out a range of perspectives. This is a pivotal moment in Israeli history. 
It is not a time to be passive and disengaged. Thanks for sticking with me to the end. I'm Vivian Berkovich, signing off from deep inside the state of Tel Aviv. Thank you.